10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. Pass the 50. 35, 40. Pass the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone. This is the old college try. This is your host, Tim Highland, and joining me as always is my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, we just like spent like 10 minutes just catching up on basically like all things life related. Um, and in the world of college football, there's like so much to get to right now and like so much to talk about that I honestly don't even know where to start. So I guess I'll start with the obvious one. Like, how was your first weekend of college football? Um, well, my first weekend of college football featured me watching exactly zero seconds of college football. Um, I did record game day and watch that, and I loved it. They did a great job of kind of uh, creating. A, I love seeing the fans back at game day, and there was a nice piece welcoming Lee Corso back, and and RG3 was on there, too. I thought he did a, a good job, actually. Um, but I was at a music festival um, uh, in beautiful Oregon Ridge Park. State Park, just north of Baltimore, saw a bunch of great bands, including Green Sky Bluegrass and an awesome uh, New Orleans funk band named Dumpster Funk. Nice. Uh, it was a beautiful day. People were gathered together and dancing, and hopefully they were all vaccinated, and it uh, felt like normal times. It was great. I have to ask, like, so, because <laughs> it's only top of mind, because my wife and I went out to dinner, like, last weekend. It was a nice little dinner in one of the finer establishments here in lovely Flower Town, Mike, and then we saw one of our friends over in the bar area. So we went to go talk to her for a little bit. And then after a drink or so, like the bar got like, got started to feel like really crowded all of a sudden. And, you know, two months ago, I wouldn't have thought twice about it. But then I was like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's always gonna be in the back of your mind. I felt all right, cause we're, we, everybody was, it was all outside. It was a totally, it's in a huge park. So it was outside. So you have plenty of space. You're not really kind of packed in like you are at other music festivals. It's a little more chill than that. It's just a one day festival. It's called Hot August Blues, by the way. Highly recommend it for anyone who's in the Baltimore area in late August. But yeah, these are, uh, it's like one step forward, two steps back, right? I just hope it doesn't impact the college football season. But I think we're going to see at least one key forfeiture that's going to gonna cause all hell to break loose. It's just a feeling I have. I guess we should start with this because I think it's just something that obviously is top of mind. I mean, like what's going to be interesting to me is how um, schools handle this based on their policy going forward. Okay. You know, Mike, in our world, higher ed communications, um, it's been an interesting 18 months. And I don't know if you follow the page on Facebook. <laughs> I wish I did know. No. It's, uh, it's called higher ed in the pandemic. Right. And it's just like, people in our world, like sharing updates and things from their different colleges. And I don't know what colleges- Complaining, complaining vehemently about everything. <laughs> yes, but this one college, their, their policy, cause like, you know, there's obviously Delta's like ripping through people. We're hearing lots of cases of, of breakthrough cases. Um, fortunately, again, the vaccine, I think people in the vaccine was mostly designed to prevent severe, severe illness and it does that, okay? That does its job. That being said, this particular college rule is if you are considered a close contact and you are past three months from your last shot, you still need to quarantine. 
Oh, wow. So I'm very curious because the idea being, because like they're still studying the efficacy of the vaccine after X number of months, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'll be curious to see how these different programs handle that. Like, you know, as you know, my son plays high school football. I'm waiting for that first notification, but you know, Jack's vaccinated. So what happens if someone that Jack was a close contact with tests positive? Is it as simple as you're vaccinated, you're good to go? That's the way it was. Like when I had been exposed in the past, I don't know if you had Mike, it was like, get a negative test and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, I am I am certain that there will be schools handling it differently. You know what I'm saying? Some will be more strict, some will be more loose. Yeah, well, I mean, we already had this situation with uh, the governor of the state of Washington decreeing that everyone at all the public universities had to be vaccinated and the coach of Washington State uh, who came from Hawaii, I'm blanking on his name right now, it's like Nick something, Rolovich maybe? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, he uh, he was very coy and he was, uh, I still don't know what the situation, how it's been resolved. I, I guess he got vaccinated, but he was very coy about it. He did not want to be, for whatever reason, vaccinated to begin with. I think he skipped Pac-12 media days because he was not vaccinated. Um, but then the governor decreed they had to do it. So there, there's going to be an intersection of college football and uh, COVID this fall. And it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out. Right. I mean, we always have, we have all, the best we can do is like hope for the best of vaccine. Right. And um, pardon me too, Mike. I, I, I think there is, um, of course, it's the public health aspect of this whole thing. And, you know, got to look out for those hospital workers. God bless them. I can't imagine what they're dealing with right now. Um, but I also like, I don't think people mentally could possibly handle the idea of going back on any kind of restrict. Like there's no way. Right. And I feel like, you know, this is probably going to be here this is part of life now, like yeah. any other virus. And I think we kind of, unfortunately, need to make peace with that. And like, hey, if you can get the vaccine, get the vaccine and keep yourself safe, whatever. Um, I don't mind wearing a mask if I have to. Like if I go into a store and I see the staff wears it, I'm like, all right, they'll feel better if I put a mask on. I don't care about that. But again, the idea of like, can you imagine if they close bars or restaurants again? Oh, well, no, not especially not when this weather starts to turn cold. No, or if, they, if, they, if fans stop being able to go to game, like, you know, it's just. Um, give me give me a booster and get me to a uh, get me to a game. That's my motto this fall. <laughs> Absolutely. So, well, we got that out of the way. But yeah, COVID is going to be an issue. Mike, so I know you didn't watch any football last week. Uh, unfortunate because there was, um, well, there's at least one interesting game, I would say. <laughs> of course, that game, there was much attention on this game for a lot of different reasons. Illinois 30, Nebraska 22, bluntly stating it, a absolute nightmare start of this season for Scott Frost. Um, for folks who weren't paying attention, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, news broke about Nebraska NCAA violations under Scott Frost. Very clearly looked like a setup in an yes. hit, hit job against Scott Frost. Long story short, <laughs> Especially with the timing. Yeah, like there, someone provided the NCAA with footage of practice showing Scott Frost, quote unquote, analysts, which every program in the country has now, started by Alabama, these yep. quote unquote analysts who are supposed to be, I think, doing like recruiting film or whatever. But in reality, you're not going to hire a former ex head coach to do recruiting stuff. Of course, you're going to tap into their expertise. Well, these guys were on the field, they were coaching players. You're not supposed to coach players. He had that again. Not a good look for him. I mean, honestly, I, I I would have thought better of Nebraska as a program than to do something like that. I don't necessarily think it was Trev Alberts, the new AD. 
probably a disgruntled donor or someone like that, but that's a bad look, right? That's a, yeah, that's a bad look. Cool. And also it doesn't necessarily make you very attractive for potential future coaches, right? Um, yeah. So there was that and Scott Frost more than anything needed an impressive week one performance against Illinois. This is not a world beating Illinois team. I'll get to them in a second. Um, that's an understatement. The loss is one thing. It's how Nebraska played that's more concerning. You looked at the Illinois sideline under Brett Bilema, and again, we'll get there. They, the, the, the team spirit was evident. It was obvious that they were all in this together. Mm-hmm. Um, sideline was lively. They were into the game. Nebraska was the opposite. Unbelievably stupid mistakes by Nebraska. A kid feeling the punt in the one-yard line then trying to throw the ball to the end zone. Um, Taylor Martinez, the kid, has not, he's not improved. Adrian Martinez. I'm sorry. Yeah. What, what did I say? Taylor? Taylor. Yeah. But that, no, he's, re- he's regressed every season. Um, who's Taylor Martinez? Who am I thinking of, Mike? I don't know. Taylor Martinez. I'm sure there's a sports guy named Taylor <laughs> Martinez. Anyway, um, he, he, he missed an easy, I mean, like the easiest touchdown throw you can imagine. Um, just cannot reliably make a talented kid who cannot reliably make the throws. And I'm sorry, like, you know, they had that other kid, um, blanking on his name. His dad played for the Giants. His brother was a big star at Stanford, backup quarterback, Mike McCaffrey. Oh, yeah, he, he transferred. Left. He left, yeah. And it's like, it's one thing, hey, it's, on one hand, it's a got to res- uh, respect uh, Frost for, like, being loyal to his guy. It's not working out. Um, yeah. And I just, it's going to, Nebraska's in for a rough year. <laughs> they really are. I mean, um, four games they win, maybe. I mean, maybe um, Illinois, were- not a powerhouse. I, but they, if nothing else, Brett Bilema has done something with the culture. Cause again, I was so impressed by the way that sideline looked. Um, that's no small thing either. So um, it's going to be an interesting thing. thing to watch Nebraska the rest of the year. Mike, my question for you is, and we talk about this a lot. Um, I think we can all agree if Nick Saban goes to Nebraska, he might figure it out in like four years, right? But maybe not to the level he won in Alabama, but yes, they'd be certainly be better than they are now. But failing getting Nick Saban or Davo Sweeney, um, can can Nebraska get back anywhere near? Can Nebraska get back to what they were under Frankie Solich? Yeah, yeah, they've just been going, they've been going in the negative direction. And you're seeing lots of things on social media comparing like how many games in a row frost would have to win to get to bill callahan's st- career stats and to get to to solich and bo pelini i mean he's he's been a step in the wrong direction by the way taylor martinez former nebraska quarterback there you um, go. <laughs> so that's an ex- that's an acceptable mistake by you for sure um yeah complete disaster uh i think that i also saw what was the stat that you and i heard uh, tim Nebraska's record in their last uh, 100 games or something like that. It's like, like they're like 25 games under 500, something like that. It's just, it's, it, it, it's stunning. And it's not, it's not a short term thing now, you know, it's, they've been steadily declining over years and one could even say over decades. And so the idea that anyone's going to turn around now, we always talk about this, if not Scott Frost too, he was the one, he was the prodigal son returning to save the day, much like Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, who, despite their struggles, has a way, way better record than uh, Scott Frost. So that's a scary thing from for Nebraska is like, where do you go from here if Frost is not the guy? 
It's it, it's not going to be an easy fix, that's for sure. And again, I I just don't know how attract. Like, let's say you're the head coach at Missouri, and you're winning like say eight nine games at Missouri, which at Missouri would be like no small achievement, right? And yeah. then you're offered the job at Nebraska. I'm not sure how much better a job Nebraska is than Missouri at this point. It just totally depends on how much more money they can pay. <laughs> because if you're looking at it salary aside, then no, I'm not sure how much better job it is either. But if they can pay more money, then they're going to get a better coach. That's just the way it goes. Um, but also, so this game, of course, was supposed to be played in Ireland, right? Yeah. It was moved from uh, Dublin to Champaign. What a, what a downshift that is. Um, noted TCFA listener Scott Tozier was there. He kicked off the college football season in Champaign. He had a great time. Maybe uh, I think if you talked to him and gave him some truth serum, he would say that Champaign maybe not the nicest town he's ever been to, not the best football atmosphere, but uh, but it was a great win for Bylima, who I think, by the way, inspired higher by Illinois. He can get them to six, seven, eight wins a year, and that's that's it. That's what you need at Illinois. He knows how to do it. Uh, and I also heard they have, what, more seniors than any other team in the country on this Illinois team. A lot of their guys came back for their extra, their extra season. Uh, so Illinois, it, 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 let's not overlook the fact that it was a, a nice win for Illinois. And look, the fact those kids came back also speaks well of Bilema. He must have like yeah. done a nice, like, he must have impressed them, right? Um, yeah. And I agree. I, <laughs> I should text Tozier because I have also been to Champaign. Probably my least favorite college town I've ever been to. There's just not much to it. To be fair, it's years and years ago, so maybe it's better now. And the stadium, it looks cool. It's like an old school. It's kind of like a soldier field looking kind of thing. Um, but it's uh, the amenities are lacking. Like, <laughs> Well, I just think it's cool. We had college football again, and, uh, and Scotty got to go there. And uh, I'm, I'm psyched to go to some games. I got Clemson on the on the schedule. And I'm allegedly, I'm, I'm holding a weekend clear for our – TCFA trip. We'll see if that happens this year, too. Trying to figure that out, Mike. Um, also, I want to say, because they deserve credit, you didn't see the game. Mike, there was more people at that Illinois game than I've seen at Illinois games in forever. Like, it was actually a good crowd. And they were wearing okay. Illinois colors. It was like you, it, something approximating atmosphere. It was pretty well, I was going to say, I mean, how many of, how many of those fans in, in the, that stadium, uh, stadium were Nebraska fans, though? No, no it was, I mean, it was a, it, I know lie, impressive showing by Illinois, which also speaks well to Bilema. Like, it does. I, I mean, a new coach brings new hope, and also they had the entire college football stage to themselves. I think that was, uh, that's an exciting thing when, uh, when you know the eyes of the nation are going to be watching your game. Uh, UCLA 44, Hawaii 10. I watched this game. I had heard quite a bit about how this was going to be a breakthrough year for UCLA under Chip Kelly. They look good, Mike. Um, they look good. They had their sweet light blue uniforms on. Um, this was never a, a close game. The Bruins play LSU at home this weekend, which will be very intriguing. Yeah. Um, my, there was not much to say about this game right here. I mean, it was, it was never a game in the first place. I will say this though, and there's been much talked about this. Um, when I was a kid in the, like the eighties, I loved UCLA. That was my favorite college team, that Troy Aikman team in 88. Like they were cool. Terry Donahue was the coach. Um, Just passed away. Yeah. Recently passed away, Terry Donahue. Yeah. Um, they were like number one in the country. I mean, UCLA football was a big deal, right? Yeah. And that beautiful Rose Bowl was packed. Like the crowd here. I, and I, I'm, I've, I've, <laughs> you have to be conscious of, of course, like, 
different states have different rules with COVID and COVID is COVID and it's, it was 150 degrees. I get all that. Mm-hmm. There couldn't have been more than 30,000 people there. And when you put 30,000 people in a stadium that holds 100,000, it looks pretty bad. And I, I'm being probably generous with 30. It was a bad look. Bad. So I saw, I saw some of this game um, replayed on ESPNU on Sunday. And they really showed so many overhead blimp shots uh, of that stadium. And you're right. It looked, it looked like a scrimmage basically with the, with the number of people and the number of empty seats in there. Um, it'll be obviously, uh, if not sold out, close to sold out with LSU fans. Probably. Can you imagine you're an LSU fan? You got to go to the Rose bowl, right. Yeah. To, to see them play UCLA. That is where the game is. Right. I think yep. it is. Yep. Um, and yeah, I heard all the other chatter about it about the temperature and COVID and all that. But you know what? I think if they start winning, like if they beat LSU, attendance is not going to be a problem for them moving forward in the Pac-12 season. I really don't think so. Winning cures almost all your attendance issues. There's only really one exception to that in sports. It's the Tampa Bay Rays. But other than that, pretty much if you win, your attendance will follow. I mean, I've heard so many. So as you know, I love Rick Neuheisel and Chris Childers. That show is so good. and they were yeah. talking about it. Actually, this is like last week before the game. And Childers was talking about his first time he ever went tailgating um, at the Rose Bowl. And I've heard so many people like, like you can't ask for a better setting. Like it yeah. is like, especially you get like into like late October, November, where it's cold everywhere else. And the weather out there is perfect. And if it's a late afternoon kick, you get that stunning view of the mountains and like everything. Like people have gone there. If it, like, you, like you sit there and like, like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful venue in college football um but i guess if you live there you take it for granted right it's like anything else yeah, it's just like <laughs> anything else but uh, the rose bowl of course remains on my top three bucket list uh sporting events list along with uh the kentucky derby and the masters i'd love to go to the rose bowl and i'll even settle for a regular season game i mean how great would it be to see ucla usc at the rose bowl and i love too i guess actually you tailgate in the golf course which sounds nice too yeah it does <laughs> um Cousin Dave would like that, wouldn't he? He would combine two of his favorite things. Cousin Dave is the amount of golf that that guy plays is is truly stunning. It's impressive, right? It's either golf or yard work. That's that's <laughs> how his time is uh, is taken up. Uh, Fresno State forty five, UConn zero. Here for one reason: a Fresno is good, but um, Mike, there was a time in the not too distant past when the UConn Huskies played in the Fiesta Bowl. Yes, it's hard to imagine. <laughs> Randy Edsel parlayed that win into his quote dream job at Maryland, which went, of course, swimmingly. Um, poor UConn. I mean, from winning the Fiesta Bowl to losing forty-five nothing to Fresno State—that's a pretty stunning fall from grace, Mike. And of course, they didn't. UConn did not play last year, so this was their first game in in two seasons. Um, they are essentially without a conference, right? Yes. They're, yeah, they're without a conference. They're playing an independent. The, 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 the future of football at UConn does not look bright. Let's just, say, <laughs> let's just say if things move as we expect them to into these super conferences, I'm sure we'll get to that later. I just don't think there's going to be a seat at the table for UConn football. I mean, UConn could legit end up in the Patriot League, Mike. Oh, yeah. And that may, hey, you know what? Maybe that's the place for them. Yeah. Uh, San Jose State 45, Southern Utah 14. I watched this game. It was kind of a nice uh, later game to watch, Mike. Um, San Jose State, I believe, like last year they went to a bowl, right? Yeah, they had a great year last year. They were good. Um, 
they're working on their stadium. So it was a bizarre, for, in terms of optics, on one side of the field, the camera was looking out, all you saw was dirt because the stand was gone, <laughs> right? <laughs> on the other side, like their, their, their colors are kind of cool. It's like, it's a unique blue and yellow, but it's a very kind of yeah. light blue. Um, stadium looked really cool and uh, they played awesome. I don't know a thing about Southern Utah. I didn't, I don't think I ever recall watching Southern Utah. Um, but San Jose, I think they're um, FCS. Yeah, but um, I enjoyed that game, Mike, I have to say. San Jose State looks like they went seven and one last year. They had an incredible breakthrough season. And um, uh, my cousin, Joe, went to San Jose State. So I'm glad to see them uh, playing good football. And Tim, what a Saturday you had. You watched every game pretty much. That's impressive. <laughs> well, there wasn't much else to watch, Mike. Next, well, believe me, next week's podcast, I will be a wealth of information because I am watching every game possible on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Um, definitely not Monday night, though. And the good news is you don't have to waste your time watching Arsenal anymore because, you know. <laughs> Just because they've been outscored 9-0 in their three Premier League games yet. It's a long season, Tim. Long season. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. Storylines. So where do I start with this? So, Mike, I want to defer to you first. Then I'm going to go on a rant. I've thought a lot about this, and I'm angry about this. <laughs> so everyone knows now that Oklahoma and Texas are basically – at the expense of their alleged partners in their conference, destroying their futures to go um, join the SEC, making SEC the most powerful conference in the country, as it wasn't already. Um, it's a, I think of all of the changes we've seen over these past years, like going back to Florida State joining the ACC, which was a big deal, Penn State joining the Big Ten, which was a big deal, all the shuffling, uh, A&M to the SEC, Nebraska to the Big Ten, mm-hmm. all this stuff. Nothing to me reaches the level of Oklahoma and Texas, who are who are the brand. Well, they did, and plus the fact they did it in concert. All the uh, it's important to remember that there have been a lot of changes in conferences over the years, and that one some of the big ones that you mentioned, Nebraska, Florida State, um, Penn State, they switched conferences, but they did it one. It was a one-off move for them. This this had a this had the feeling of like an organized cabal or like a like a revolt almost. And again, Florida State was an independent, so they weren't screwing anybody over. Penn State was an independent. Nebraska was justifiably unhappy in the Big 12. A&M was justifiably unhappy in the Big 12. I, you know, I went to Maryland for grad school. There was a lot of disgruntledness about feeling like the whole league was run at the behest of Duke and North Carolina. Like, so- I still object to that one though. I get like the, this, I, to your point, I agree. This seems more underhanded and- Doing something while great for look, it's great for Oklahoma and Texas, less so for Texas. They'll, they'll never win anything ever again in any. Right. Isn't that great for them? I mean, it's great for them if you have if, if the way you measure things is is exclusively the bottom line, financial and money. But uh, their prestige, I would not be surprised if 10, 15 years from now, those are just another programs. I mean, Oklahoma has a proud tradition, so does Texas. But, uh, you know, doing that in the SEC compared to the Big 12, it's a big, big difference. And, you know, Oklahoma, say what you will about them, they've been a staple in the college football playoff. Let's see if that's still the case. I mean, obviously, the playoff will probably expand. I don't think Oklahoma or Texas would be doing this if they didn't think or know that the playoff was going to expand. Um, But still, I, I don't know if it's a great move for them if you measure it other than money. Obviously, for money, it's a great move. Let's go through this. This is just an exercise here, Mike. Um, let's 
including Oklahoma and Texas. I'm just curious where they're going to fall here. If, if you and I say, okay, let's rank the football programs in the SEC. I think we say, okay, obvious number one is Alabama, correct? Oh, yes. Number two, Georgia. Georgia or LSU. And I would say that, yeah, I'll, I'll say, I'll give Georgia the slight edge based on LSU having a shitty year last year. Um, three, LSU. Four. Florida. Oh, wait, wait, I would, I would say um, Alabama, Georgia, Oklahoma. You have to give them the respect. And drop them oh, over. you're saying they're, they're in there now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So <clears throat> Oklahoma three, LSU at four, Florida at five, right? You got Texas A&M in there. Texas A&M. Texas is slow. Texas is squarely middle of the pack, if that. Right. I mean, like, and I, I, I get, of course they know this, but like, yeah, I don't know. I just, I, Texas has not been Texas for a long, long time now. And I'm not seeing how this move, I think, look, that Texas market, which is so rich with talent, that A&M move opened things up for likes of Alabama and LSU to get in there. I just think the Texas move makes it all the more, all the more. Um, and this is my thing with it. I've heard a lot of talk about this whole thing and people are like, just like gushing about what an amazing commissioner Greg Sankey is. And I get it. Greg Sankey's job is to do what's best for the SEC. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. I'm sorry. And maybe I'm like a sucker, but I happen to think if you're a commissioner of one of these leagues, you're also a steward of the game. And this could very well propel us down a path that would like be the most destructive thing to happen to college football. And I don't think this is like, we've already seen this, whatever alliance between those three other conferences, the big 10, the ACC and the PAC 12. I don't think the big 10 needed to go there, but whatever they did. Um, That felt like they had to do something. That's a power play where they're saying, we're going to schedule amongst ourselves and we're not scheduling you, SEC. That's what that is. And it's also, they are going to hold the college football playoff television rights hostage because they will not want ESPN getting those rights. They're pissed off at ESPN, right? Mm -hmm. This is all about voting power and the rest of it. The worst thing that could happen to college football is for those three leagues and the SEC to cease to have relationships. That doesn't do anything for anybody. It doesn't help the SEC. It doesn't help those other three conferences. I just think at this moment in history, more than ever, we need, like at a time when the NCAA, NCAA is pulling out, basically, because they, they realize they have no power over football. They just don't. Um, yeah. Crying out desperately for a commissioner in very the same way that baseball needed a commissioner after the Black Sox scandal and Kinesaw Mountain Landis came in and all the owners hated it, but that was the guy who made the decisions for the best of the, for like the best things for the game. Right. And we need someone to wrangle this. Mark Emmert can't do it. No. And all those commissioners are looking out for themselves. I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. There's no one in the sport, including the people at ESPN who have a little ton of power looking out for the best interests of the sport. Uh, that's just not what's happening. Sankey is doing what he's doing because he thinks it's the best for the SEC. And, you know, I, unfortunately, Tim, I think you sound a little idealistic um, about that best interest of the game um, and Shep, maybe saying shepherds of the sport because no one's doing that now. 
And to, to get back to your point, is that what this alliance is about? Freezing out the SEC from scheduling? Because then we could be going down a path where the SEC and the quote alliance separate entirely. Maybe the maybe we have two playoffs, or maybe you know, maybe the SEC wants to add another eight schools, and they'll have their own league essentially. I, that, I, it's I know it sounds crazy. It's not impossible yeah. because of the people who are running this thing. They're all type A red personality <laughs> jerks who just want to win. They want to win, right? I, I, I'm sure that people in SC country believe they could form their own quote unquote, whatever you want to call it. And that'll yeah. be the greatest thing ever. It wouldn't, it would not. How, Mike, how cool will it be for Auburn fans this year to travel to Penn State for a whiteout game and for Penn State fans to travel next year to Auburn for a game at Auburn. That is awesome. It's going to be amazing. We just talked about LSU fans going to going to the Rose Bowl uh, to play the Bruins. I mean, also one of the greatest things about college football is its regionality and the fact that you watch a Big Ten game and it's nothing like an SEC game. And then as the day kind of develops, then you have your Big 12 games. I know that they object to being put at the noon slot by Fox, blah, blah, blah. That was, that was one of the reasons Oklahoma kept citing. Um, and then as the day progresses, you have your night games in the SEC, and then you have your Pac-12 games after dark. And just the the the, uh, the regional nature of the sport is so cool. Um, and when we finally made it to a spot where it was all tied together through this college football playoff, and I just don't – it's going to be so much more homogenized if everyone is in the same league, basically. They're going to increase the number of league games because of television inventory, and then – uh, that's going to cut down on the non-conference games. And then if you have this kind of spite scheduling, I'll call it for lack of a better term, um, you're not going to, you know, we're not going to see SEC teams play these other teams. And it's just, it's go, I agree the, the term you use, we're going down a dangerous path where everyone, people's feelings are starting to get hurt. No one can trust anyone and everyone's just looking out for themselves. And I could not agree with you more that the, uh, the game needs a commissioner. And actually, uh, RG3 was talking about this on game day, and he jokingly, I don't know how much of a joke it was, uh, nominated Kirk Herbstreit for the job. Um, so it, it was, it, we're, in a, we're in a dangerous and interesting time in college football. Yeah, and I will say too, like, what, again, what Sankey did, people say, oh, he, would just, he just took what was offered to him. Everyone else would, would have done it too. I don't disagree. If, if Kevin Warren was offered, Texas and Oklahoma he would have taken them probably. I, I, yeah, I, I probably that being said, I just can't imagine being the AD or the president at Texas, Oklahoma, and having to, for the next whatever year, to, how, how long it takes, have to work with those other schools that essentially, and I, I use this term not to exaggerate, but it's true. You're essentially destroying Oklahoma State and Iowa State and Baylor and TCU. I mean, like they are going to be left. I mean, right now it's hard to see how they are going to get a seat at this, you know, big four or whatever we're going to call it. Right. The big 12 is on borrowed time. There's no doubt about that unless they merge with the, uh, uh, you know, the AAC or something like that, which I don't know if that would even be included in, you know, but in this quote power four or whatever we're heading for. But um, I mean, some of the quotes from Bob Bowlesby and some of the other presidents, they had absolutely no idea this was coming. I mean, they, they were talk about being stabbed in the back. And I understand, 
I guess, hey, that's how the business world is, right? I, I guess that's the way you do business. Um, but we were like to think that maybe it's a little different at an institute of higher education. But uh, I, I just can't imagine uh, what a what a feeling of betrayal those those schools and those schools fans have. I mean, are we never going to see Bedlam again, Tim? Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. For some reason, that that of all these changes over the years, you know, we lost A and M versus Texas, which is a big deal. We lost Penn State, Pitt, which ticks me off. Like so many rivalries have gone away, but the Bedlam one to me, it's like, oh my god, you talk about look, you've been to Stillwater. Yeah, was that I was at Bedlam. For some reason, like Oklahoma State and Iowa State bother me the most, where it's like for Iowa State, the reason is they've they've over these past, I would say past decade, they've slowly built themselves yeah. into a real program. And yeah. now you have an amazing coach in Matt Campbell. They're gonna be awesome this year. They've got a legit chance to make the playoff, I think. Um, they Iowa State football's never been better. And then this happens, like, and yeah. then for Oklahoma State, think of all like basically T-Bone Pickett's like his life was investing in this program and building this program. And besides football, like they've got an amazing wrestling program. And I think they're really good at softball too. And like that can all be destroyed. It can all be destroyed if they can't find a home. They will, mm -hmm. they'll be UConn. Yeah, no, it's, it's bad. And when I attended that Bedlam game, talking to so many fans from both uh, Cowboys fans and Sooners fans, they're talking about how this was the biggest day in the state. They, yeah. This is their Super Bowl. They were like, this is bigger than the Super Bowl. This is the biggest thing that happens every year in the state of Oklahoma. And now you can see a situation where maybe out of spite, you know, they're not going to play each other for a while. I mean, I, I don't know. And the fact that they're, you know, Oklahoma, Texas is amazing. And, and, and thankfully, we'll get to continue seeing that in whatever a convoluted scheduling model the SEC comes up with. And that's another thing. 16 teams in a conference is a joke. I mean, you're not, how are you, you're not going to, you're going to have such unbalanced schedules. It's ridiculous. Um, but I just hope that, that, uh, I hope that, that we're not heading down the path that it seems we're heading down. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. It's not a good, <laughs> I just don't feel good about it. I really don't. Yeah. Um, at least anyway, we have so the season starting to distract us. When, I mean, it was a long, I mean, we'll talk about NIL in a bit, but it was a long off season with lots of off the field conversation. That's all important and it's all impacting the way college football and college athletics evolve. But I'm glad that that's over and we can actually, you know, enjoy the games and, and enjoy our Saturdays the way we used to, at least for a couple more years. Uh, Mike, so this NIL stuff against what, oh, is it name? It's NLI, right? <laughs> name, name, image, and likeness. Name, image, and likeness, right. Uh, so to me, I don't know what your take. Uh, you go first. Like, give me your thoughts overall on the name, image, and likeness thing, and what it means for college football. Well, I think it's 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 only fair that athletes should be able to pro profit on their own name, image, and likeness. I mean, that's that's uh, to me, it's only fair. But I think anyone who predicts what it's going to be like or how it's going to impact college football has no idea what they're talking about because I don't think we can possibly know at this point. I think in the next, I mean, we've only had it for two months, but moving forward in the next full recruiting cycle, you I mean, you're going to have recruits simply saying, what, how much money can you get me essentially? Like there, I, are there going to be introductions to, you know, the guy who owns all the local car dealerships in your, in your town or, or that, you know, the one guy in Miami said he's giving what, uh, 500 bucks to each player for, for every, you know, every single Miami hurricane player. 
And the smart coach is like Saban. He's already, you already noticed him doing it where he casually mentioned that Bryce Young has made over a million dollars already. You know who he's, why he's casually mentioning that? So recruits hear it. And so that's going to be kind of the, un, there's going to be a lot of unintended consequences that we can't possibly know moving forward. Um, but I think the game will adjust. You'll have these stories of, you know, quarterbacks, you know, giving some of their, some of their uh, endorsement money, their offensive linemen, things like that. There'll be some negative situations too with jealousy in the locker room. But I think it's only, it, it, it's only fair that the athletes can profit off their own name, image, and likeness. And hopefully the game adjusts to, uh, to, to having this in part. I, think it's, I don't think it's quite as big a deal as the, uh, as the realignment. No, I, yeah, I agree. Like, so um, to your point, I agree 100%. Like, look, I mean, the Supreme Court these days, Mike, like, you don't get a lot of nine nothing. No, nine nothing <laughs> is an emphatic, emphatic statement. And again, I never read Kavanaugh's, um, what's it called? His opinion. Opinion, but apparently it was pretty scathing. Like, yeah, I just read the highlights. Um, so look, I think the NCAA realized, like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's like, look, basically what what this is what this is is the same deal that Olympic athletes have. Like, yeah. you know, we don't pay them as a nation, but like if they want, if they can profit off their their success, they should. That's just like America, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I agree too. There will be unintended consequences of this, no question about it. Um, and I think too, like the two things that concerns me is one, what it does to the locker room. Mm -hmm. Because you know, I'm a, I'm a big time nerd for these uh, scholarship reveal videos. Yeah, you, you know? love those. Um, but what I love most about them is there, there is, and it just sounds cheesy. Like, look, I played a lot of sports growing up, um, but there's something that I, it just is. There's something different about a football locker room. And when you got a good team atmosphere, like there's nothing like that. And when you watch those videos and that kid gets a scholarship and the team goes crazy, like they sincerely care right and you have kids from all different backgrounds in this one thing together like that's cool stuff right mm -hmm. i would hate to see that impacted by this where the quarterback's making two million dollars a year and his left guard who he needs is not right yeah but got to work through that um the other thing yeah, too is for you. it's gonna put a lot of pressure and a lot of money in a kid's hands who is 17, 18 years old, and some of these kids are going to be up. I mean, I would not have been great with $2 million in my pocket as a high school, as a college freshman, Mike. Like, I wouldn't be great with it now. <laughs> that, I mean, and that's going to be, like, they're going to need support. And I'm sure the schools are trying to figure out, like, how to, like, hey, because I know, I, I remember I, I interviewed Troy Vincent back in my Wharton days. Um, there were Troy Vincent from Wisconsin and played. Yeah, yeah, he was the, uh, I think he was um, president of the NFLPA for a while. Right, and they had programs in place. Like these, like these guys come in and suddenly you're getting these huge game checks. It would, to anybody, like you need some coaching on, hey, you're going to have people like looking to profit off you and like go oh, yeah. on you. And you need, but so these schools will need to provide support for these kids, like to help them understand how to na navigate this, right? Yes. So we'll see. I mean, I got that, that kid coming in that, um, you mentioned the Bama kid, but there's a kid in Ohio State, and I hate this too, who, because Texas laws don't oh, yeah. allow high school seniors to profit from their name, um, image, and likeness, he just didn't play his senior year in high school at South Lake, which is a huge school in Texas. And just went to Ohio State a year early. Like that sucks to me. Yeah, it does. Um, 
And that's sucks. Texas lawmakers will, will change that law pretty quickly, I assume. <laughs> I would assume so too. So again, it's a time of enormous change, Mike. I'm going to skip the last one because we are going way long here, Mike. Yeah, we don't want to lose every listener in week one. Let's uh, let's 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 uh, do a little hurry up offense here. <laughs> All right, uh, hold on. I got to find the uh, ESPN top twenty-five, Mike. Um, a real quick while I search this. Um, to your mind. Who is the most obvious candidate or candidates to get into that like top four group with the usual suspects, which currently is um, Bama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State? Um, I'm thinking Texas A&M. Uh, everyone's very high on them. Plus, they have Bama at home. Uh, it's in Texas, so I, I think Texas A&M has a has a real good shot to do that. Um, and then I, you know. I, distasteful as it is for me to say Notre Dame I mean they have the opportunity with their schedule um and their their name recognition to always kind of make it into that uh that top 24 but that or, or top four but then of course you have Georgia and I think what's interesting about the Georgia Clemson game is you know Georgia if they beat Clemson they might not have to win the SEC to go to the playoff yeah which I think makes that game on Saturday really, really interesting. Agreed. All right, top 25, of course, our favorite part. Let's go to others receiving votes. I'll call it the interesting ones. We got uh, UCLA with two votes. Good for them. Army with two votes. Oh, two for Army. That's cool. Yeah, we got here. Uh, Ball State with six votes. By the way, Penn State opens at Wisconsin. Plays, I think, defending MAC champion Ball State week two and week three at home versus Auburn. So, yeah, that's a, that is a challenging start to the season. And we, when we get to week one, there are all kinds of great matchups in week one. Yes. Uh, Liberty, 36 votes. TCU, 40. Ole Miss, 106. And the aforementioned Oklahoma State, 107. How about, Mike, Michigan with 12 votes? 12 votes? That's it for the Wolverines? They have less votes than Oklahoma State, Ole Miss, TCU, Liberty, Auburn, and NC State. Liberty. NC State. Oh, wow. That's a slap in the face. <laughs> All right, 25 through 20. We got Arizona State, Utah, our beloved Louisiana, Coastal Carolina, Texas at 21, and number 20, Washington. We got uh, Louisiana and Texas playing this week, and a lot of people calling for uh, for Louisiana to get that win. That would be a, a, an inauspicious debut for Sark, for Sark down there. You'll love these next three, Mike. 19, Penn State, 18, Iowa, number 17, Indiana Hoosiers. 16 LSU, 15 USC. Who would have thought Indiana sandwiched between LSU and Penn State? First of all, I love the fact that they're, they're ranked two over Penn State, but I do not like the fact of all the attention they've received in the offseason. They are everybody's darling. I think it's great for Tom Allen. It's great for the program and the university overall, but as a, simply as a fan, it makes me very, very nervous to, uh, to have an Indiana team with expectations on it heading into the season. By the way, in the new college game day opener, uh, there's a clip of Tom Allen crowd surfing under, with, with his players. So he's uh, he's really made it now. He made that uh, that game day intro. Uh, 14, Miami, 13, Florida, 12, Wisconsin, 11, Oregon, 12, North Carolina. Huh, 10, North Carolina, you mean. Um, yeah. Uh, that's an interesting group of schools. Very high ranking for Miami in, in, uh, in Manny Diaz. Well, I think there's a lot of uh, expectations for them with De'Ara King at quarterback, for sure. Um, and North Carolina with Sam Howell. 
fun opening matchup for them too at Vatech on a Friday night. Nine Notre Dame, eight Cincinnati. What a job Luke Fickle has done in Cincinnati, huh, Mike? And the, uh, he, he leads his Cincinnati team against Indiana in the non-con uh, schedule too. I believe that game is in about three weeks. Yeah, that's, uh, that's amazing. And I would just love it if somehow they play Notre Dame as well. Uh, if they could run the table and get into the playoff, uh, that would be outstanding. Except for I don't want them to beat Indiana, of course. <laughs> Seven, Iowa State. Six, A&M. Five, Georgia. And I'll just say again, I mean, like, I think most people are aware of how good Iowa State is. Like, they legit could make the playoff this year. Yeah, they could. And But I have a same kind of a little bit of the same fear for them as I do for Indiana. These type of programs, you don't want a whole lot of preseason expectations. Have you been to Ames, Mike? I have not been to Ames. I've been to Iowa City, but not Ames. Okay. Uh, I said five Georgia, right? And then we got yep. four, of course, four Ohio State, three Clemson, two Oklahoma, one Alabama. Uh, Bama with 47 first place votes. Oklahoma with six. Clemson with six. Ohio State with one. Georgia with three, actually. Bama lost like everybody. And there's <laughs> still just no question that they're the preseason number one. I, I mean, is that not exactly. I mean, they lost their quarterback, their best running back, the Heisman Trophy wide receiver, their best offensive lineman, another awesome wide receiver. Um, it's just it's it's just incredible uh, what what they're able to do. But there's a lot of expectations on Oklahoma this year too, with Spencer Radler and um, a couple good transfer running backs, and their defense apparently has made lots of strides. So it'll be interesting to see the Sooners too. So I think I heard this. I I, I don't think it was Bama. Like it may have been Bama though. Like which school had the most um, kids on the All-America team, right? First team, second team, third team. Mm-hmm. Do you know which school had the second most on, th- on that, Mike? <laughs> um, Georgia. Iowa State. Are you serious? Yep. Wow, you're all in on, you're all in on the Cyclones this year. I, I can would tell. Love to they're, your, they're your pet project. I would love to. Wouldn't you love to go to a game in Ames? Like, Absolutely. Jack Trace Stadium, that'd be awesome. Right. Um, all right, here we go. Games of the week, as Mike said, it's some awesome games. And we start with potentially the most awesome one of all, although I think Hurricane Ida may have something to say about this one. Temple at Rutgers, 6.30 p.m. Um, Thursday on the Big Ten Network. Um, <laughs> I think people probably forgot, too. Rutgers made enormous strides last year, Mike. And they could be actually decent this year. Look, say what you will about him, but Greg Schiano, at the very least, is a great coach at Rutgers. He, he, it's a very specific skill set that he has. Um, but yes, they're recruiting. Apparently everything I read in the off season has been off the charts. They're two touchdown favorite against, uh, against your beloved temple owls. Uh, there, so the hurricane is going to make its way Northeast and it could possibly impact this game on Thursday, huh? That's not a, it's, it's no it's, good, but it'll just be rain at that point. Won't it? Oh yeah. But it's gonna be a lot of rain. I think so. Like uh, it looks like at, we're looking at Wednesday, Thursday here. Um, Joey, who's playing football now, had a scrimmage Wednesday, Wednesday they moved to Tuesday. And so it's going to be a lot of rain, I think. Um, what position is Joey playing? Uh, wide receiver, Mike. Does he have that? Does he have the Aaron speed or your speed? <laughs> he's quick. He's got good hands. He's a, uh, he's tiny though. And, uh, to see him in his uniform is humorous. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, what grade is he in? He's in fifth grade. And this is his first year doing tackle football through. Oh. Yeah. And, uh, again, so the helmets now are like, they're huge because like they're super safe. So it's like, remember that guy in the Bills who had like the big like bubble helmet? Yeah, Mark Kelso, I believe. Is Not quite name. that big, but it's like that kind of like idea. Um, 
So you put that on and then his shoulder pads. He looks like an inverted pyramid. Like, <laughs> is his helmet as big as Rick Moranis's in Spaceballs when he played Dark Helmet? Not quite that. But I mean, and also the helmet weighs a ton. Um, so Joey's in for, he's already had a learning curve. Like, welcome to football practice. And having been there myself, there's literally nothing fun about football practice. There's not one moment that's like, oh, this is great. It just all sucks. <laughs> so uh, good luck, Joey. Um, Boise State at UCF, 7 p.m. Thursday, ESPN. What a great Thursday game that is, Mike. Outstanding Thursday game. UCF, a five-point favorite uh, in Gus Malzahn's uh, debut. I think he's going to be a terrific coach there. He's finally good, just going to be able to get to coach um, in a place where he can be appreciated and they'll, you know, They'll be happy with it. He coaches an outstanding brand of offense, and he's a, he's a good coach any way you look at it, I'm thinking. Um, again, and then the coach, the team he's playing, Boise State, with a new coach because their coach, of course, Brian Harson, went to replace Melzon at Auburn. So yeah. Boise State always plays in a, a tough, entertaining brand of football. So that will be a very fun one to watch on Thursday as well. Number four, Ohio State at Minnesota, 8 p.m. the same Thursday, ESPN. Um, look, Ohio State, new quarterback. I've heard great things, but a new quarterback's a new quarterback. Yep. Minnesota had a difficult year last year, but I think for most programs, whatever, tough year last year, like you're right off that COVID year. It was especially, you know, in, especially in the Big Ten, except for if you're Indiana, you, you take credit for that year. And look, we know how good Ohio State is, and like they are the most talented team in the Big Ten by a mile, but this is no gimme for Ohio State. No way. It's not. I mean, you expect Ohio State to win, but they're two touchdown favorites on the road. And if you look at Ohio State in previous seasons, I mean, again, let's throw out last year. They always have the, the you know, that, that was the, that was the knock on them was, you know, they they have this hiccup on the road in the Big 10. They lost to Iowa, Purdue, of course the Purdue game. And, you know, a Thursday night, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. This is going to be an interesting game for sure. And, and the, the longer it goes, if it's close, I think those Minnesota kids will, have, will be believing that they could win. I mean, it's not last year's Ohio State team coming out. Um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that one a lot. Again, like, a, you know, this new Ohio State quarterback, I mean, there is a certain pressure that comes with being the, the, the next steward of the flagship program in the Big Ten. Like, they're used to it certain level of achievement and that is a tough week one assignment i do love the number of week zero slash week one in conference big 10 games i think it's awesome yeah so do i no, no reason that you shouldn't have conference games every week at least a couple of them uh, number 10 north carolina at va tech 6 p.m friday i have no idea what's going on in va tech but by all accounts unc is pretty good this year Mike. yeah no neither do i but you know va tech is still va tech at home Friday night atmosphere, Carolina ranked in the top 10 with that awesome offense. And Mac Brown's got them rolling. Uh, they're a five and a half point road favorite in Blacksburg. And definitely that'll be a great one to watch on Friday night. Also, kudos to whoever scheduled these Thursday and Friday games this week as well. Yep. Uh, Sparty at Northwestern, 9 p.m. Friday, ESPN. Yeah, that's a, that's a sleepy Big Ten game. <laughs> Northwestern, a three point favorite. We'll see if Mel Tucker can get things turned around there at Michigan State but that's uh that's not a Big Ten game that's going to attract uh, eyes of football fans from across the nation <laughs> this one might although I have concerns I'll get there in a second number 19 Penn State at number 12 Wisconsin noon on Fox now I'm like I've told you for years now and of course every fan like it has a certain um 
you start picking out things about your team, they're probably unreasonable, but I've always felt Penn State's terrible at noon kicks. Okay. Yes. I think most teams are actually, it's, it's a little early. <laughs> yeah. It's, the, the noon games really, they, they rarely get off to, you know, scintillating starts. It takes a while for the teams to get into the flow of things. Here's my thing with Penn State. So Desmond Howard said in game, in game day last week, like he's super high on Penn State and he thinks they can be a sneaky playoff team. Oh, yeah. I do think, and I think there's general agreement in the current state of the Big Ten, Penn State is clearly the second best talented team in the league. The problem has been like last year exposed some, I would call, uh, culture issues, leadership issues. James Franklin had a lot of, you know, his family, his girls had to move to Florida because his one daughter has serious health concerns. So he couldn't be around them that he admitted that messed with his head a little bit. He didn't handle it. Well, they had their running back room blow up Poor journey. Brown, of course, had the heart issue. Um, Noah Kane got hurt in the first drive of the season. A whole lot of stuff happened. And Sean Clifford had his worst year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That being said, they, they have enormous talent. Like they've got a stud at safety. Jahan Dotson, to my mind, is one of the top three receivers in the Big Ten. Um, Kane is healthy again. People haven't seen him on a national scale. If he can stay healthy, he is legit. I think he's a top five running back in the country. He just hasn't a chance to prove it yet. Um, there's a lot there. But again, this first three games at Wisconsin – at home to Ball State, and Ball State is the defending MAC champion. They're a good team, and that at home versus Auburn, they could be three and zero and flying and on their way to like a great season, or legit zero and three and in the toilet. Yeah, no, absolutely. The one thing I think Penn State has going for him, I think James Franklin is an overall. He's a very good coach he, as as kind of a program shepherd. So. The fact that they had such a tough year last year, I can see them, you know, laser focus this year and really kind of on a mission to show everyone that last year was the aberration. But getting to your point, they could be like that and easily lose a close game to Wisconsin, just like they lost that close game to Indiana last year to, to, to uh, I can't remember whether that was their first or second game of the year. But uh, and then things kind of snowballed and you could see the very same thing happening this year based on that schedule. So uh, it's going to be, they're going to be a really interesting team to watch for sure. And Wisconsin is just Wisconsin, right? They're just going to roll along. They're going to win a lot of games. Um, they're going to win them ugly. And it's always, you know, question of, do they have really kind of enough offense? Uh, can they be dynamic enough in the passing game to, to get them to that big 10 title game? That's a great noon game. How about this at 3.30? Like at 3.30 is stacked. Number one, Alabama versus number 14, uh, Miami, 3.30, on ABC in Atlanta, of course. Um, yeah. Look, to your point, look, we all know how good Bama is. They have every year the best talent. They have the best coaches, the most coaches, because they got 75 analysts. The most coaches. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny thing to brag about. Um, <laughs> and like, I, I, what's the line here, Mike? Do you know? Uh, yes, Alabama's favored by 18 and a half. I mean, that's a huge – Miami, like, I know they've not been Miami, Miami for a long, long time, but, like, a lot of people have good things to say about them. Um, I think this is an interesting game. It is. It is. You know, I wish it was on campus, uh, you know, somewhere, but, you know, it's in – I guess it's in the um, uh, the, George, the Mercedes – whatever the hell the Falcons Stadium is called. Um, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, like Mercedes-Benz Stadium or something like that, yeah. 
Uh, Derek King, I mean, he is the real deal quarterback for sure. So uh, that's that's going to be interesting. You know, what a, what a contrast of quarterback experience, him versus Bryce Young. But, I mean, until we see something from Alabama that says this is not a Nick Saban Alabama team, you just have to continue picking them, right? I mean, talk about someone who's earned the benefit of the doubt. Right. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. So we'll see. I mean, like, wouldn't it be what, – what, what a start of the year would be if Miami pulled the upset, Mike? Oh, that would be spectacular. That would be awesome. And unfortunately, this game will only be slotted on my my uh, my third television screen because of two other monster three thirty matchups. And this this I'll be honest. This next game will be my number one at three thirty. Number seventeen Indiana at number eighteen Iowa three thirty BTN. As you've already said, a whole lot of expectation being heaped on the Hoosiers this year. I have faith in Tom Allen that he'll help his team navigate that, but that's new for Indiana and new for those players, right? Yeah, they're, they're playing an experienced and talented Iowa team. It's always hard to play in Kinnick Stadium, right? In Iowa, that's a tough place to go play. Just ask Ohio State. Um, the thing I want to stress and kind of remember with this game is Indiana can lose this game and still have a very, very good season. I mean, yeah. they just it, it's kind of unfortunate that this is one. I mean, can you think of a tougher a divisional crossover game than having to go at Iowa. I mean, they went to Wisconsin last year and, and, and won against the Wisconsin team that really struggled last year. But other than that, I mean, I can't think of a harder cross divisional game to have than to have to go to Iowa. So that's a, it's a tough scheduling Matt. And at, at Indiana as well, they play Cincinnati non-conference. So not an easy schedule for Indiana this year as well, but if they're ever going to step up, you're going to have to win games like this, you know? So it's, uh, it'll be a, it'll be a fantastic game to watch. I counting down the seconds till three 30 on Saturday. Oh, it's going to be great. And again, I, I, I also have to get to a game at Kinnick. I have to be there one time, Mike. Yeah. And see that uh, applauding the, the children's hospital after the third quarter, that seems like a great tradition. Right. So a game I put on here only because it's you, I know I'd be watching it. West Virginia at Maryland, three 30 PM ESPN. Um, Terps, like recruiting has been pretty good, right? It has. And uh, everyone's seen, there seems to be kind of an air of confidence coming from College Park. They have uh, Talia Tungalavailo, of course, at quarterback. And he had some really good games last year. He was very inconsistent. He had some great games and then he struggled sometimes. Um, Mike Loxley, as he said, has been recruiting well. So there's a little confidence uh, coming out of College Park. West Virginia, I don't know much about them, but it'll be a big one for Cousin Dave as well. Uh, the Mountaineers, two and a half point favorites on the road uh, at Maryland Stadium. I think it's an interesting game. And, and again, I, I like that coach at West Virginia, Neil Brown, a lot. I think he can do a good job yeah. there. Unfortunately, the ears are also caught in that horrible situation where, again, you brought this coach in, a very promising coach, and now you can't help but think that that situation, it, it, it dings recruiting, right? Um, I think he was the right guy to take the program forward. I just hope they find a home. I do. Um, yeah. Part of me feels like it's as simple as, all right, West Virginia goes to the ACC with, is there anyone else that makes sense? I don't think so. Not either. really. And all these, all these projections, it's just West Virginia goes by itself. Um, Iowa State, which actually is a member of the AAU, Mike. Do you know that? Uh, I, I did know that just, just, I heard that just during this story, basically. So them in Kansas to the Big Ten, I know they add nothing really, like in terms of like TV markets, but who cares? Like, Look, Iowa State would be a contender in the Big Ten, right? So take yeah. them 
and the Kansas basketball brand, you can't beat that, right? Yeah. So imagine like Indiana playing Kansas every year in basketball. Perfect. That would be awesome. I would definitely go to Fog Out and Fieldhouse for that game. And then um, whatever, um, Okie State to the Pac-12. Um, to me, for the Pac-12, Pac, uh, you take TCU, right? You get a piece of the Dallas market there, right? Um, who's left? Baylor? Where's Baylor at? I don't even know where Baylor's at. Baylor's down in Waco, and Texas Tech is left. They're in big trouble. They are. <laughs> They're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> anyway, so good luck, West Virginia, and everyone else. Uh, let's see what Number 23, Louisiana. At number 21, Texas, 4.30 p.m. Fox. I, I sincerely hope that Louisiana beats Texas by 40. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. And Texas is an eight-point favorite. It opened at 10 points. It's all the way down to eight, so... Uh, the gambling community really does seem to like the uh, the raging Cajuns in this one. San Jose State at number 15, USC, 5 p.m. on the Pac-12 network. Watch out for the Spartans, Mike. Watch out for the Spartans, but you won't be able to watch this game because it's on the Pac-12 network and no one gets that. <laughs> uh, USC, a 14-point favorite. Yeah, I think I've told you, I, I literally have a 24-7 network dedicated to all things cricket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I have that, but I don't have the Pac-12 network. <laughs> It's hard to imagine, and it, I, I've noticed now that my cable, I have well over a thousand channels. Like it goes into, I was watching something the other day. I was on channel like 1128 or something. It's just hard to believe that in that kind of uh, environment, we don't, we're not able to watch every college football game. Yeah, it's just the, the Pac-12 and the ACC um, have not handled their TV deals very well. <laughs> Yeah, like, the ACC goes to what, like 2036 or something like that. 2036, and it pays out like already half of what the Big Ten and the SEC are getting, and the Big Ten's re-upping next year. They're yeah. going to like, oh, my God. So, again, if you're Clemson and Florida State, you got to think about that, right, Mike? You yeah. Do. You yes, do. you do. Um, this one is here because, to me, if you could match up two teams like who are perfectly matched within their – in the profile of their conference, right? Where they rank in their conference, and like in many ways, is there a better Big Ten versus Pac-12 game than Oregon State? Oregon State Purdue. State? I knew you were going there. I <laughs> knew you were going there. Yes, I, I I noticed that one too. Purdue a seven point favorite at home. Yes, in the, in the, in packing order wise, and it's like you know Oregon State has Oregon, Purdue has Indiana. Purdue is always going to be very, very middle of the pack. Oregon State's middle of the pack in their good years. Of course, we have a special place in our heart for Oregon State, having gone to Corvallis and attended a Beavers game, which was an outstanding experience. Yeah. But yes, I, I thought I, I knew that's where you were going with that one. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I've not been to Purdue. I actually applied to Purdue for grad school, Mike. I have not been to Purdue either. All I know not, is that it has the worst male-to-female ratio of undergrads in the country, along with Georgia Tech. And also, it's the only school when you tune in for a game, and it's always cloudy. Always gray. It's oh, it's the opposite of Philadelphia. It's always gray <laughs> West Lafayette. Number sixteen, UCLA uh, LSU at UCLA, eight thirty p.m. on Fox. Again, um, LSU coming off a rough year, and this UCLA team is legit good. They got a great quarterback. I. I think the Bruins have a chance to win this game, Mike. Absolutely. Um, first of all, it's 8.30 Eastern. That's 5.30 Pacific. The, the exact time, I mean, that's going to be so beautiful. 
the, the, the scene out there is going to be incredible. Definitely worth watching just for those overhead blimp shots. But you're right. UCLA seems to be clicking. You know, what is LSU after, uh, you know, after Joe Burrow? We still don't know that. Um, and LSU is only a three and a half point road favorite, which it seems, seems low. So I, I agree. I think UCLA has what it takes to win this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win. Um, finally, for if, if anyone feels ambitious, Mike, the late night game, Utah State at Washington State, 11 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. You have to like create an account online to watch this game. But, yeah. <laughs> well, you're missing one game that we'll go back and talk about. But uh, Washington State, 16 and a half point favorite against uh, against the Utes. And I actually heard who was it? I, I, I'm gonna once this podcast kicks in, I'm gonna do a much better job of trying to remember who or, or write down where I hear these things from, because I like giving credit to people who said it. But uh, apparently Utah State is a team to look out for, and this could be an upset special. But they have Blake Anderson, who came from Arkansas State as their new coach. Apparently he bought a lot of transfers with him from Arkansas State to Utah State. By the way, what a cultural shift that would be for those players, huh? Arkansas State to Utah State. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that will be uh, – that. The, the I'd love to see the Nielsen matchup on that one. Um, so again, you've been to Stillwater. Um, we have been to um, Corvallis. Corvallis, not the easiest place to get to in the world, I would say. No, right. Not. But I, I, I think that Washington State might be the hardest place to get to in major college football, right? Yeah, I wouldn't even know where to fly into. Uh, I think it's like Seattle and you drive like four hours. Okay, so that does not, that does not seem easy. I know it's extremely close to Idaho. Which, uh, which I think is, uh, is fascinating. No, it, that, that does seem like an extremely remote place, uh, Pullman, Washington. If we tried to like, do Apple Cup at Washington State, it would have to involve us getting like a helicopter or something. <laughs> <laughs> that flight would be, there are not enough Bloody Marys in the world for that flight for you, Tim. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, all right. you, missed, you missed the game of the week, of course. I noticed and you missed it in your, uh, in your, in your um, preview. Georgia Clemson. Oh my God, did I totally miss that game? You totally <laughs> missed it. Uh, Clemson, a three-point favorite in Charlotte, North Carolina, where, where game day will be. I hate the fact that they're playing this in the Panther Stadium, but whatever. It's a badass matchup. Um, lots of noted TCFA listeners will be will be tuning in for this. That's for, that's for damn sure. Uh, like I said, I think this game really matters more to Georgia in a way in that they could they could win if they win this game I do think they can make the playoff without winning the SEC um, but Clemson I feel like they can lose this game as long as they're not blown out and you know if they win the ACC not you know they have a 99% chance of going to the playoff right you're not going to leave out a one loss Clemson team it's not like if it was a one loss North Carolina champion or something like that right Clemson's going to get the benefit of the doubt so I think the game means a tad bit more to Georgia. But I think I, I agree with you. If Georgia loses, they can still get in. If they, right? I do. No, um, yeah. If they, if they, yeah, if they win but lose the SEC. But also, if they lose and win the SEC, they're also getting in. So, correct, but, I, but correct, but I think it's 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 hard, <laughs> extremely hard to win the SEC. I mean, you, well, it's going to be look. It's going to be hard to beat Clemson too. You're talking about the Georgia team that easily could have to beat Clemson and Alabama in the same season just to get to the playoff. And then they very well could have to beat them again. Right. 
And I know Georgia had a tough blow. Like they, they lost their tight end, right? And the DB transfer from West Virginia also out for this game. Um, so they're down a couple guys. So we'll see. Um, I think it's a fascinating year for Georgia in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, again, I, I, talent wise, they're stocked. And, uh, and, you know, Kirby's been getting kind of the benefit of the doubt from the fan base, but eventually he's going to have to get over the top. I, I, I know it's not quite analogous um, and Georgia's in a better spot, obviously at this point. Um, I just think there's so many comparisons between Georgia and Penn state where it's like, they're the team in the league that could unseat the powerhouse. It's just a matter of getting there, getting yeah. there, getting it done. Um, Georgia's had their chances. Penn state had their chances when Saquon was there and like, just could not close the deal. And until you do it, the status quo is just going to be reinforced, right? So yep. I think it would be great for college football if Georgia won the SEC. I, I, I just do. But um, we'll see. This is a pretty huge week one test. I, for, for me, you, and Brian, all having pretty huge week one games. It's kind of cool, Mike. Yeah, it's extremely cool. This is the best week one schedule overall I can remember in several years. All right, Mike. Um, Locks of the week up next. Um, Bobby, hit the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't gamble. I don't. I never have and I never will. Yeah, right. Mike Unger, 50-50, possible lock, probable loser of the week. Please hang up and try again. For this week's lock of the week, the first thing we're going to do is review last season, where I posted a six and seven record. You went three and nine. <laughs> uh, over the last two seasons, aggregate records: I'm seventeen and twelve. You are twelve and sixteen. Uh, you need to turn that around for the gambling community, especially now gambling legal in so many more states. Right? There's probably a lot more of our listeners who are going to dabble. They need your expertise. Um, I'm going to Kinnick Stadium. Against my better judgment, I'm taking the Hoosiers plus three and a half with the, it's basically because of the hook. As I said, I wouldn't be surprised if we lost, but in Indiana's whole history is they lose a lot of very, very close games. So I'm, I'm attracted by the three and a half points. I'm, I've bought into the Tom Allen uh, mythology. And uh, I just think that uh, if this is going to be that special season, this is going to be uh, an important game right off the bat against Iowa and I'll, I'll take Indiana. So, Mike, for years you told me not to have my pick be Penn State-related whatsoever. Yes. I think this is a serious mistake by you. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. And But, you know, a lot of it is lack of preparation, which will not be the case leading up to next week's podcast. This is our first one of the year. I'm not in my rhythm yet. So uh, I did not put a lot of thought into this. Next week I'll, I'll have a much better pick, but uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, still, I'm still riding it out with IU. And, again, the LSU-UCLA line is what? Uh, LSU is favored by three and a half. <laughs> How about Louisiana, Texas? Uh, Texas is favored by eight. I will take Louisiana to cover. Yeah, I like that one. That's a good pick. Yeah. Ugh, we'll see. We're back. I can't wait for this weekend. I really. I know can't. it's gonna be. It's gonna be great. I'm. I'm like already like formulating grand plans for like some kind of massive like day-long feast of stuff just like yeah right I'm, gonna, now. I'm gonna do a pork butt in the smoker 
<laughs> yep. All right. Uh, Mike, this has been a long but good podcast. It's fun talking college football again. I told you before, I'm very, very stressed right now in a lot of different ways. So <laughs> glad you had an, an hour and a half respite or ever long. God for this godforsaken podcast was. If there's anyone listening next, folks, we'll be a little more next week. We'll be a little more succinct. I know we'll, we promise to keep it under 45 minutes, I'll say. Indeed. All right, Mike, there's one thing to say. It's been so long since we said it. I can't wait. Pachas. Pachas. Thank you for listening to the TCFA podcast. For more college football news and wit, visit Intelligent.